The Lean Out podcast is sponsored by freewheel.co.uk, where you can buy online while also supporting local independent bike shops. Hello guys and welcome to the Lead Out, Cycling Weekly's monthly race show. Uh, I'm Alex Ballinger and alongside me today we have Yanto Barker, former pro and founder of Le Col. Uh, Yanto, the racing season has ended, how are you doing? Yeah, good. I think it's been a sort of intermediate phase in the season, which is not much is happening, uh, no real objectives, a bit of a rest time. You see lots of the big pros on Instagram and Twitter having a bit of a, you know, downtime. And I think just recently starting to get back into training again. So we'll see that. So this month is going to be our end of 2019 show. We're going to be looking at the six biggest moments of this season in the racing world. Uh, we've picked a few of the highlights and we've also gone to you guys as well to find out what your favourite moments of the year were. Before we get started with the show, let's look at the headlines from the last month. British Cycling has unveiled the revolutionary new bikes they will use at the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo. The incredible looking machine was designed by Hope Technology and Lotus Engineering, along with input from British engineering company Renishaw. Mark Cavendish and Owen Dool narrowly missed out on victory at the 2019 Six Day London as Elia Viviani and Simone Consoni took overall victory in the final moments of the event. In the women's competition, the British dominated all three podium spots as Katie Archibald and Nia Evans took victory over Eleanor Barker and Laura Kenny. The least shocking move of this transfer window has been confirmed as Mark Cavendish will be moving to Bahrain Merida to join his old mentor Rod Ellingworth. Ellingworth has taken over as team principal at Bahrain as Cavendish follows in the hope of reaching former heights. More big transfer news from the sprinting world as Andre Greipel is set to return to the World Tour next year with Israel Cycling Academy. The German powerhouse left Arkea Samsig after just one season and will join the Israeli team which is taking ownership of Katusha Alpecin. There have been some major retirement announcements in the last month as well, as Taylor Finney confirmed he will be bringing his career to a close at 29, and former British champion Adam Blythe has also announced his retirement at age 30. Those two retirements, um, Finney and Blythe, I just wanted to point out, actually quite young. You know, um, I retired at 36 and I thought I could have done another couple of years, and then you look at Valverde and he's into his 40s and he's carrying on. So, you know, in terms of physically, they could definitely continue. Maybe there's, you know, other aspects of their life that they want to explore. I can understand life in a cycling, you know, bubble is very sort of excluding to all other things. Such a hard life as well, isn't it? You know, such a tough life to live from such a young age as well. A lot of these guys have lived it for their entire lives, haven't they, as well? I mean, there must be a few moments in your career where you think, am I 100% sure this is what I want to be doing? Yeah, the real difficulty is when you're internationally competitive like those guys, you are kind of wrapped in a bubble from a very young age and institutionalised to not really know what life is like outside of the bubble. The danger is you get inquisitive and then you want to find out, so you retire. But actually, uh, when you do retire and you do something different, you realise it's not what you thought it was and the grass is always greener kind of approach you find out isn't quite true. So, you know, there potentially is a couple of years of slightly unsettled, slightly unstable times for people that retire, especially in their early 30s or late 20s. Um, and they need to really stay focused on keeping themselves calm and letting it just evolve. You know, I say that from experience. And what's that transfer like as well, you know, going from the professional peloton to finding a completely different life for yourself? It's really hard, genuinely, because as a rider, you are literally just looking at your own performance. It's like an arrow. It's very, very narrow, very straight. And you are all on data, performance and, you know, results. When you get out of life and in business, it suddenly becomes very broad. It feels very slow. You have to include lots of other people. 
it takes ages, it feels like it takes ages to get stuff organised, um, but that's just how life is outside of sport, and that's what people that organise the sports and the teams do anyway. So yeah, it's really interesting, and I think, uh, you know, any advice for young, or any athlete retiring who spent, you know, a decent amount of time, I would say it takes at least two years to finally let the dust settle, and you shouldn't make any big decisions within that two years, knowing that it's gonna feel a little bit weird. That's just how it is. And try and do as much as you can, I suppose, as well. I've seen a few former riders say, you need to just try a bit of everything as you leave, and you know, try a bit of business, you know, try some other sports, and just see what really sticks. Yeah, and don't stop cycling. Like, what people don't realize is, when you've ridden regularly for basically your entire life, you do have an elevated level of hormones and you know, endorphins that create a positive feeling inside yourself. And when you stop and if you go cold turkey, then that goes down and you will just feel a little bit less well-being inside, which I recommend don't go cold turkey. <laughs> do a ride a week, you know, it's plenty. It doesn't need to be more than an hour, but you know, they'll find out. Right then, without further ado, let's jump straight into it and look at the six biggest moments of the 2019 season. So, starting with number one, we're going to look at Lizzie Dignan at the Women's Tour. I mean, this was, this was an amazing performance as well, wasn't it? It was just really uplifting, you know, really lovely to see it as well. Yeah, I have absolutely the utmost respect for Lizzie because um, I've got a young family at the moment. I see how hard and um, how much time and, and attention that requires. Um, she's clearly got a really loving and supportive husband to enable her to go back to training full time properly and get the most out of herself. So one, I was really pleased to see her come back and achieve this result. I think it was an excellent result in its own right, but then even more so off the back of just having a young family. So absolutely hats off to her. Yeah, it's fantastic as well that it was, it was an overall victory. She took a stage as well. And there's a few sort of different factors that really make this one of the moments of the year, aren't there? There's, there's the fact, there's the physical changes that will have happened as she's had her first child as well, which I know she was very uncertain about um, and was really trying to find her feet again, you know, racing. But then it's also the fact that you've just left the peloton for a year, isn't there? You know, that, I mean, how, how many people do that and really come back to a, a big victory like this straight away? It can't be underestimated how big an achievement and how strong and serious you will have had to take the grinding out back up to that level because you don't come back where you left off, you come back right down here and you have to really methodically work through your process to get back to a place where you can win and she really had to work for it, you know, it wasn't resounding, it wasn't like head and shoulders, she was had to be tactical, she had to be smart, she had to judge her efforts and she did it all perfectly. It was an insanely narrow victory as well, wasn't it? But I think what really stood out as well was she's just joined Trek Segafredo this year, she's returned, isn't she, from uh, maternity and it was the stage victory in Bill's Wells, it was the tactical masterclass from Trek Segafredo, which you don't see that kind of thing very often, whereas her and Elisa Longo Borghini um, riding together and they were just fantastic and it worked perfectly. And that was what clinched the win for her in the end, wasn't it really? I, I agree entirely and it's really a pleasure to see uh, athletes going to the next level to create a different differentiation between the first and second positions. And they do have to be intellectually smart, bright and execute a plan you know, really effectively to make those distant, you know, differences. And they did that perfectly. In an earlier interview with uh, Cycling Weekly, she said that she wanted to prove that she could be a racer and a mum. I mean, the answer is probably pretty obvious, but what do you think? Has she done that? Yeah, head and shoulders, amazing result, fantastic. And I really look forward to seeing what she can do again next year. Right then, looking on to the, the next highlight of the year. So number two is Julian Alaphilippe uh, at the Tour de France. Now we could have picked any moment of Julian Alaphilippe from the Tour, couldn't we? But Let's look at his time trial because that was the, sort of the turning point in the three-week race, wasn't it, where all of a sudden Alaphilippe went from being a sort of plucky underdog to he might actually win this. <laughs> I mean, it feels nuts because if you'd have asked for the odds on him winning that time trial before it started, I think it would have been crazy. <clears throat> and yes, I know for a fact that GC riders 
segment the whole Tour de France or the whole Giro, whichever Grand Tour, into the key moments where you need to make a difference. And we were all, I was definitely expecting there to be a gap now made between Alaphilippe, who was in the yellow jersey going into that time trial, and someone like Garrett Thomas um, and the other more time trial specialist Grand Tour riders. And it didn't happen and he increased his lead and it was, wow, that is a really special achievement outside of his regular you know, strengths. So yeah, it really stood out for me and definitely became one of the highlights of the year. So I stood on the, the finish line of that one because I was covering the tour uh, during that middle week. And it was, it was kind of madness at the finish anyway because people were coming across the line and there were just so many journalists there that were just swamping everyone, trying to get their you know, recorders and cameras in and trying to ask them questions. So that was madness. And then Alaphilippe crossed the line and it was something different altogether, you know, that you couldn't even see him. The amount of people at the finish line, which probably wasn't safe to him, but yeah. the amount of people there that just swamped him, you couldn't even get to him. Yeah. It was absolutely insane. And his reaction as well, jumped off the bike, threw it, yeah. just grabbed his teammates. And like, even he was like, what have I just done? Yeah, and I think it will go down as one of the most incredible, you know, results from a French rider in a French tour for a long time. Now, this one, this number three is, it kind of depends on on what you define as one of the sort of most special moments of 2019. But this is Mads Pedersen, world championship win. Now, the victory itself was fantastic. It was the youngest world champion we've had since about 1999. Um, but I think what really makes this one of the moments of the year was the weather. It was absolutely insane, wasn't it? Yeah, I did. I was at Yorkshire. I watched the race. Um, and I think it was the shock that he won because we were all expecting, you know, an Italian winner. <laughs> um, and he is a very, very talented rider. He's been on the podium of monuments before. We know he can do it. He is still young. There is much more to come. So this is someone who's going to win many more bike races in his career. And he just ground it out. And I say ground it out because it was literally Yorkshire grit. And um, as, a, as a Danish rider, clearly used to cold conditions. And actually, if you look at the results, uh, Northern Hemisphere and quite North Northern Hemisphere riders did fill the top 10 spots more um, more than the sort of Spanish and Southern Hemisphere or at least hotter countries. So I don't think it was a surprise that their ability to cope with that extreme condition because it was start to finish cold, wet and miserable. Um, so yeah, a really special result. And, you know, he just did not give up and was a fantastic ride in the end. I think that was the sort of the main story that ran from it, wasn't it? Was that the underdog won in sort of against all odds, really, didn't he? Because when you came into that final, you had Matthew van der Poel, who was still there on those sort of local finishing laps, and then just exploded in the most dramatic fight. Like, I know that feeling, because I've done it a few times out on rides. Um, and then when it came down to the final three, where you had Stefan Kuhn, you had Pedersen, and then Matteo Trentin, out-and-out favourite, won something similar in the European Championships in Glasgow from a three-up sprint like that. It just was weird to see Trentin not sort of quite have it, wasn't it? Yeah. And then... Pedersen just took it and it was all of a sudden it was a big deal. At the end of the day, you've got to sprint at the end of the race that you've ridden, not be the best sprinter. And um, Kung, I think, knew he wasn't going to win. And so with the penultimate climb, he was actually just all on the front, all out, making sure at least I get a medal out of this. And you could see that uh, developing in the way the tactics and his thinking was happening. I don't know if he was actually getting a radio to sort of confirm that that's, a, that's the choice of tactic that he should be going for. But he definitely did it. And he was going incredibly well as well because he, they had been up the road for 60Ks. Kung, in, in particular, had been up the road for a long time. you know, And it's full on. That course was very busy. Concentration and everything was you know, extreme. So, yeah, it was, uh, you know, we all expected to see Trentin win. He is the best sprinter. But when he got out of the saddle, his legs were empty. That was it. So, 
it was classic British racing as well, wasn't it? Like you said, it just never ended and classic British weather as well. You know, we had to take two of the climbs out. We had to take out Grinton Moor and Buttertubs because the, the weather was just insane. There was yeah. flooding across the roads. Just made for some amazing images and yeah. just such, uh, seeing the riders after the finish. I mentioned this on a previous episode of the lead out, but just seeing the riders at the finish, you know, hypothermic. I saw yeah. Michael Valgren was just completely pale, with, yeah. you know, blue-lipped and they were just in the, in the worst state I've ever seen riders, I think. It's a weird one because as a spectator, you think, oh, it's terrible. They shouldn't have to ride in those conditions. But as a competitor, you, you don't mind. Like, I remember, you know, looking, I watch races like that. I feel sorry for the guys. But actually, if you genuinely have an opportunity to win, you don't care if you've got blue lips. And yes, it hurts at the time. But when you finished and you go home and you look at your medal, you think, yeah, it was worth it. The great leveller, they call it, don't they? The great leveller. Yeah. Right then, let's jump on to number four. We are going to be talking now about uh, Chloe Diger, World Championship time trial win. A lot of time trials actually in this year's sort of highlights of the year. But this was this was something special. This was uh, a, again an underdog, unexpected right or an unknown quantity at least beating the best riders in the world. One of um, one of the kind of nicest things of being involved in a sport for a long, long time is recognizing talent before it's obvious. And there's a real warm feeling inside when you recognize someone who's doing a good process, who's got clear talent, has got the mental strength and determination and ambition to keep themselves disciplined and run a process that will reach you know, great heights in their career. And I think that's exactly what happened here. She's, you know, she's popped out as an underdog. She's beaten everybody. It's a fantastic result. And she will now be on the radar for everybody you know, in terms of being favorites for time trials and probably other races as well. It's great. you know. It was, it was absolutely amazing performance. So she's 22 years old and she, she won by a huge margin as well. So she won by 132 over Anna van der Breggen, uh, 152 over Van Vluten, uh, which is the largest winning margin in a World Championship time trial uh, since the event has been held at World Championship level. The next biggest was Cancellara in 2009, who won by 127. So that's absolutely amazing for a 22-year-old. And the, I think what's the biggest surprise about this is that Daigart is known as a track rider, isn't she really? She's known for sort of the shorter efforts indoor. And this... That was why she was such an unknown quantity, because she was heading into a 30-something kilometre time trial, and you don't know how someone's going to adapt to that sort of longer, you know, the longer need for oxygen, basically. Um, And apparently, with ease, with ease. Yeah, but she's a a huge talent, and, you know, talented people adapt to things in a way that the rest of us just wish we could. (laughs) Um, And the gaps are there to be seen, and it's not like she's beaten unknowns. She's beaten the actual pre-race favourites and some of the biggest names of women's cycling right now. I mean, it's a fantastic result. She was also one of the uh, antagonists or pranta- uh, protagonists of our next highlight as well, which was the women's road race. Yeah, um, the 100-kilometre solo victory is what you're talking to, talking yeah. about, which was one of the most amazing. I watched it again, and it's you know genuinely really enjoying women's sport, women's cycling, um, as it is entertaining. The achievements are as big you know, as any of the men's races and, you know, the discipline and talent they have to combine to create the ability to make those efforts and win those races is phenomenal to watch and I have so much respect for them. So this is Annemiek van Vluten's 100, 104, 105 kilometre solo break in the women's women's road race at the World Championships. Uh, they had slightly better weather than uh, a few of the other races had, but it still doesn't take away from the fact that that was one of the most unbelievable phenomenal rides I've ever seen in my life we were sat in the in the press room watching it on the big screens and uh, the Dutch were just absolutely smashing it on the front over the climbs and we thought this I mean this is insane are they going to do this for the entire race she just didn't slow down the gap didn't come down like it was incredible and you know anyone who's ever ridden around Yorkshire just to do 100 kilometers at that speed is ridiculous but then to do it at the end of a world championship road race you know it's it's full-on 
I think even Van Vluten was surprised by her own performance as well, that she said that she sort of attacked over the, over the crest of the climb um, and got a little bit of a gap. And then she said that she sort of sat up a little bit uh, as she got to the bottom of the next descent, radioed into or spoke to a sports director and, uh, and said, you know, what's the plan? Sports director said, just go. And she was like, 100 kilometres? Okay. I can understand, you know, you've got a gap. It's like, well, if they're going to catch me, I'm going to have to make them work for it. But then, you know, 10 kilometres go by, 20 kilometres go by, the gap goes out. You think, mm, I feel okay, you know, keep eating, keep drinking, make sure you don't run out of fuel. Look for another 50 kilometres. Okay, it's a bit of a way now. Maybe, you know, I still feel pretty strong. This is the sort of mindset you go through, you know, because she wouldn't have necessarily believed that that was going to happen from the time she attacked once she got the first gap. But, you know, I think probably when she gets to 30 k's to go, she's thinking, right, that's it now. I've spent too long out here on my own. So if I do get caught, I'm going to have nothing left for a sprint. And it's got to be all in, all in to make sure I stay away. And she did, so. Cool, right. And then let's look at our final highlight of the 2019 season as well. Now, this appears to be the consensus that this is the biggest moment of the year from, from what I've seen from, from you know, fans and viewers and readers. So this is Matthew van der Poel at Amstel Gold. Now, talking to races that we're going to be you know, mentioning for a long time, this is up there, you know. Yeah, from a personal point of view, I watched the race. Um, I watched probably about 150 kilometres of it. And um, he attacked way, way, way back in the race, still like 120 k's to go. It's a massive long race. The monuments are really long races. Um, clearly the favourite in Holland, you know, he is having the same Lizzie Diagnum issue of being the favourite, the big name, everyone's attention's on them. He'd, you know, been doing, going really well and getting everyone, all the riders' attention as well. So he was gonna have to really do something special to pull it off. And it's the most special and spectacular finish when you think how much he was attacking with over 100 kilometres to go. Uh, the gaps that he was having to make up within the final, how well marked he was being by other riders with teammates up the road that he didn't ask for a turn from. He just kept riding, kept his head down, rode through them. And the final drag to the last 1.8 Ks, I think it is 1.5 Ks to go before they flatten off and then they run into the, the finish straight. Um, he, he just was a ridiculous watts. I've seen the power files, you know, it's totally doable, but to join all those things up together. And then you come down to the final sprint and you've got, there's still sort of 50 meters, 100 meters, and then him, and he's got to keep leading himself out basically, and then do the sprint off the back with everybody who's completely at the limit, because everyone's gone hard, even the guys, you know, Kwiatowski, um, Alaphilippe, uh, and Fuglesang have all been there and all done a massive effort. And it is just the last 100 meters and he gets around everybody. Like, it's incredible. Unbelievable, isn't it? It was, it was one of the moments I really loved in that race as well. It's when those, those breakaway guys, you know, Fulsan and Fleep, had such a such a sort of almost insurmountable margin by that point. And then on that final straight, straight they turn around, see him there, and they panic so badly, and they start just sprinted, don't they? And he's just absolutely flown past them. Yeah, I mean, so that's the really exciting bit about this is it's not that he won, it's not that he came from behind, it's that the tactical sections. And so the dynamics between two riders is always complicated because one of you is always going to look for an advantage and stay sitting on. So there's always going to be a bit of a lull and they're not going to lay down the same power up into the last kilometre that they would if they were on their own. So actually being on your own is a huge advantage in terms of how fast you can cover that ground when it comes to including the tactical issue of you can't give the advantage to your opponent. 
So even when Kwiatkowski catches them and he's like, hey, well, I've come from way back and to be honest, I don't know if I deserve to win because you guys have been stronger than me for the most part of this finale. So I tell you what, I'll just go on the front and I'll go for a medal a bit like Kung in the Worlds. And he's committed, but even then with his commitment, and he's a massive talent, you know, won monuments, won Milan San Remo, won all sorts of races. So he's on the front and he's fully committed because he's thinking, well, I will give you the advantage to Alaphilippe and uh, Fuglesang because actually a medal is pretty good and, you know, I'm happy with that. And <laughs> they still get caught <laughs> and he still outsprints them. It's an amazing quote from him that I always love is that he said he doesn't understand why sprinters don't go earlier. And it's all very well saying that, but he can do it. He can put those attacks in and just keep them going as well. You remind me there of a stage in the Tour of Britain that finished in uh, Newcastle, where it f came along by the river and then it turned right with about 800 metres to go, maybe a bit less, 600 metres to go, and it went up a really steep climb and then levelled off with about 450 metres to go. And um, it was won by the rider who basically kept the momentum going over the steep part, and, um, and he felt like he'd gone way too early, but everyone had had to go early and it was more about momentum conservation. So I can see that. And you know, sprinters do have incredible five minute power. While they can do 15, 1600 watts, you know, uh, Viviani has got an amazing five minute power, which is why he's so good on the track. And that's really where, if you can stay within a nice comfortable zone, I say comfortable, you know, with relatively, um, for, the, for the last five minutes before you kick, then you've got a much fresher kick with a much more, a much more power. And the issue is when you get to tricky run-ins with corners where you have to keep doing kicks before you get to the main kick, or if there are drags and you're really over your five minute power, you've got nothing left to kick with. So yeah, I mean, he's kind of probably thinking, why isn't everyone as good as me? Which they're not, because he's special. So. Maybe they could, maybe they couldn't. <laughs> just came back to his first cyclocross race as well for this year and just absolutely smashed it as well. Beat Elias a bit, who has been, you know, the sort of the big name for this cyclocross season. So it's just, um, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Absolutely ridiculous. Right then, so let's turn it over to you, our viewers. So we put a poll out on Twitter to find out what you thought was the biggest moment of the 2019 season. So we gave a choice of four options, which is the most you can have in a Twitter poll. Uh, so we put Van Vluten Worlds, uh, we had Chloe Dygart Worlds time trial, Van der Poel and Amstel Gold and Alphilippe in the Tour de France time trial. I mean, clear favourite winner here, 47% uh, from seven, 717 votes. And that went to Van der Poel, which I believe is in agreement with you, Jan. So sounds about, yeah, sounds about right. Um, a few other, we've got a few other shout outs here. We've got uh, James Lyons said uh, Pedersen at the Worlds. Um, also, we've got cool, uh, shout outs for Egan Bernal at the Tour, which I mean, th that's the thing about this. It's going to be a controversial episode, yeah. this one, isn't it? Because everyone has their favourites. But you know, there's sort of certain things that are going to stand out above the rest. Bernal's win, was a, it was historic, it was a big deal. For me, it doesn't quite stand out as one of the best of the year. Um, and then, what else we've got? Thomas de Gent in Le Tour. That's a, that's a sort of a niche favourite there, I think, isn't yeah. it? It was fantastic. Uh, and then also Frank Van Damme says uh, Mollema at Lombardia, which was yeah, a late, late another, season choice. Yeah, yeah, no, but another great victory. I watched that one. It's a you know, beautiful race to take part in and um, really strong winner has to come out of that one. Okay, right then, let's get into the challenge. Let's do 30 second effort. Now for our very special end of the year episode, we are gonna do 30 seconds effort where you have to argue what you think is the biggest moment of the year and why. I think I've got an easy one, haven't I? Yeah, yeah it's uh, pretty easy to defend this one. Win this one. Yeah, <laughs> I think you probably are gonna win this one. Right, Yanto, let's know what you think is your highlight of the year and why. Uh, my highlight of the year is Matthew van der Poel's Amstel Gold win um, because it was 
the most spectacular for a number of different reasons. He was the favourite in his home country, on his home monument. He was the rider's favourite, the bookie's favourite. He was incredibly well marked, as in very difficult for him to get away. Um, but he didn't let any of that perturb him. He kept focused. He stayed at the front of the race. He gave himself an opportunity. And then the finale, when he came in to close those gaps, lead himself out and win the sprint was the most spectacular race finish I've seen for, I think, years. That was good. That was good. I, I don't, I'm not even going to bother. <laughs> pretty much takes it with that. I mean, the readers agree as well with 47%. Let me stop that. There we go. Right. Now it's my turn to try and defend my beliefs. <laughs> right. Okay. So 30 seconds. What is the biggest moment of the 2019 season? Starting from now. Okay. So I'm going for Chloe Dygart, time trial win at the World Championships. This has got everything you can want from a moment of the year. It's got uh, someone who is an underdog, but who is likely to be one of the come, one of the biggest riders in the world very, very soon. Also, it's a time trial. I love time trials. You know, I, I'm sure that would uh, eliminate it for a lot of people, but I think it was fantastic. Winning margin, biggest win in margin ever in a time trial at the World Championship level, uh, beating Cancellara back in 2009. was an absolutely amazing performance. And we're going to see a lot more of Dygart in the years to come. Good one effort. second to spare. One second to spare. Although I'm sure, no doubt, the readers will agree with your reasoning. Yeah, but well, you, you, to be fair, if I was to rate your 30 second effort, get 10 out of 10. Not bad. See, Dygot only got 8% in our Twitter poll, which I, I feel that that is underrated, really. Underrated. But, you know. That's why we're here. Uh, so yeah, to draw attention it's, to it's her name be, and that the, achievement. The comments in this are going to be controversial. It's going to be yeah. war down in the comments. Go back. If you haven't seen it, go back and have a look at the uh, footage. Right, let's wrap this one up then, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Let us know what is your highlight of the 2019 season in the comments below. Thank you very much to Yanto for joining us. Uh, so don't forget to like and subscribe. Cycling Weekly magazine comes out every Thursday and you can also see all the news on cyclingweekly.com. Thanks very much for watching. Get down.